Well, hello, everyone. Uh, I'm really delighted to welcome you to TNC's latest podcast uh, on the topic of key actions to make your network transformation cost effective. I'm John Waterhouse, CEO of Network Collective, and I'm your host for the next 20 minutes. Uh, as I'm sure everyone uh, viewing and listening knows, TNC is the UK's largest independent network and telecoms strategy and sourcing consultancy, supporting over 280 major UK multinational companies with all aspects uh, of network telecoms, uh, mobility, strategy and sourcing. So joining us today from TNC is our CTO, Craig Northveth. Craig, would you like to say hello? Yeah, hi everybody. Um, I'm looking forward to uh, this podcast today with John and our special guest, Ed. Yes, I'm very delighted to welcome our special guest, Mr. Ed Hutt. As I'm sure many of our viewers and listeners will know, Ed is one of the highest profile CIOs and transformation directors in the UK. And he's spent uh, over a decade now leading digital transformation programs in a number of FTSE organizations, including British Gas, William Morrison Supermarkets, Fitness First, SIG, and most recently, Impelum. Ed has always been at the forefront of the transformation agenda, has developed a unique approach to balancing the need to achieve technology and business transformation whilst delivering the commercial results all organizations are demanding. Ed, it's a pleasure to be talking with you today. Would you like to say hello to our viewers and listeners? Yes, good morning. Good morning, John and Craig. Good morning, everybody else. Very nice to be here and very nice to talk about a topic of great interest to me. Absolutely. Well, I mean, today's topic, yeah. So key actions to make network transformation cost effective. I mean, it's, it's super interesting. It's it's super timely. You know, put simply, this is the big thing in networks at the moment. Uh, uh, the world is effectively divided into two types of organizations, those who are already underway with their transformation and those who need to, to do so. So there's very few organizations aren't going to, uh, aren't feeling the need to develop that transformation strategy. But the reality, and that's what we'll go drill down into today, is developing and executing that strategy is really hard. So the demands coming in to IT from the business are fast moving, fast changing, not just because of COVID, although that hasn't, uh, <laughs> that hasn't helped. It was already fast moving, fast changing, even pre-COVID. And of course, the technology solutions out in the market are also changing incredibly fast as new entrants coming into the market, new technologies, new approaches, uh, almost on a daily basis. So balancing those complex demands and the complex technologies to create a coherent strategy and then being able to execute it, you know, is, is tremendously challenging. Luckily, uh, with Ed joining us today, we've got a great person to guide us through uh, these challenges. So we're going to look at three key topics today. Firstly, how can you free up budget to fund transformation? Secondly, how then should you develop that transformation strategy? And then finally, how should you execute the strategic sourcing processes required to make that strategy reality? So Craig, I'm going to start with you. So one of the biggest challenges organizations face is how to fund transformation. Are there particular approaches they can take to start freeing up expenditure for legacy services to, to achieve that? Yeah, absolutely, John. So I think one of the, the biggest the biggest trends that we've seen of the, of the last couple of years and, and one of the biggest approaches, I guess, that we see organizations take um, is is looking at the legacy technologies that got within their environment. So we know we know two clear things. So you know over the last few years technology has evolved quite significantly in, in pretty much all areas. 
Um, we also know that there's been a significant challenge on the cost of some of these technologies as well. So we've seen a downward trend um, for many technologies over the last few years. Um, so the, the approach that a lot of organizations take really is to kind of baseline the services, really audit and look at opportunities to cleanse their services, either through consolida consolidation or convergence of technology, looking at areas where legacy technologies can be removed completely um, because they are no longer no longer required. And generally doing a tidy up of the estate to look and identify opportunities to effectively identify cost savings for reinvestment in the future. Um, so it's, it's great that we've got Ed on, on the call today. So I'm quite a unique position with Ed. So I've, I've both worked for him directly, um, a previous organization. I've worked for him um, as a consultant at TNC. And I know we've been through many of these, many of these projects in different guises over the last few years. So Ed, it'd be good. It'd be good really kind of to, to, to bring you in here and you know talk about some of these experiences where we've had successes and the challenges that we've had around you know the kind of audit and cleanse approach but also maybe you know what that's allowed you to do um to be able to identify them savings and reinvest in transformation so yeah i'll, I'll kind of bring you in maybe share a little bit of insight and you know some experiences that you've got yeah thanks so uh, thanks thanks Craig. I, mean, I, I think it's quite important when you're looking at transformation uh, first of all, you are trying to establish what the goals that the organisation has in a transformation, or you know, put simply, transform to what? Uh, and, and without without that answer as a starting point, uh, you know you you really are sucking wind. You you you're just drifting around in a, a nothingness, trying to understand what's going on. So it's very very important, first of all, to establish with the. The, the client organisation, you know, whether you're on the payroll or you're a consultant uh, working from the outside, transform to what? And you know, one one of my you know, personal sort of style points, which uh, one of my colleagues pointed out to me some years ago, and I hadn't actually realised I was doing it, but but it makes perfect sense. Is if you're going to transform somewhere along the way, you are going to need some more money is you can't do it as a zero-sum game. And if you take cost out, you're taking cost out because you need it for something else. Because every time you take cost out or you change technology or you make transformational moves which are more bold and faster and deeper than an incremental change, then you're also taking risk. And as every businessman knows... Anything you do in terms of business is a risk premium. So to take more risk, you have to get more return. Or alternatively, if you want more return, you have to take more risk. They're the two sides of the same, same coin. So in network transformation, bear in mind there are a few things in your business and in the technology that you deploy, you can destroy the business with overnight. Uh, and one of them is the network because everything's networked somewhere. So get it, get it wrong. Uh, and get it wrong could be a technical get it wrong, or it could be a commercial get it wrong. And I, and I do remember one occasion some years ago where you know, we, we'd taken the decision to change partners uh, and the, the existing partners uh, who were, I think the technical term would be commercially sharp, said, you either do what we want or we'll just take your network out or we're just not going to provide it. And you cannot replace networks overnight. Yeah. And that, that sort of action can be 
quite damaging for business. Essentially, you can't trade, you know, at which point you move into the whole world of, uh, you know, do we need an injunction to prevent them from doing it? And I've seen, I've seen that on more than one occasion. So I think the fundamental lessons to remember, first of all, are, number one, transform to what? Mm-hmm. You know, secondly, if you are transforming, there is risk associated with it. And then thirdly, if you're going to do something transformational, you are essentially creating, through cost reduction, a down payment. And that down payment is going back to the exchequer within the the company or the organisation that you're working for. And you're going, look, here's three and a half million pounds, here's five million pounds, whatever the number happens to be. I've saved you that. Bad cost has come out. I now need to put good cost in in order to bring about the change. But and if you remember the film Apollo 13, the whole mission was to get Apollo 13 back to Earth. And the way that was done was by switching all of the power systems on in a certain order to avoid it exceeding a certain ampage. If you exceed the ampage, you blow the battery, the guys die. Switch it on in the right order, the guys get back safely. Same thing in transformational terms. You've taken out your three and a half or five million pounds or of ampage, and you're now going to put cost back in mm-hmm. as part of that transformation to do what the business now needs to do in a digital sense. The objective after the big initial cost out is how to put cost back in mm-hmm. in stages so you now don't bust your ampage limit. So more cost in, bit more cost out, bit more cost in, bit more cost out. But after that initial drop, you never suddenly go back to that burst level again. And it's quite a fundamental rule, but a lot of people find it very hard. It aligns to a, a, a phrase you've, you've said to me a number of times over the years. Uh, 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 I, I, w- I won't say it as pithily as you, as, as you do, but you know the, the, the need to stop spending money on the old to enable you to spend money on the new. Yes, it, it, indeed. And you know you can't you can't carry on doing what you were doing and do the new stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, no, most even big businesses can't afford it. Uh, and, you know, between the three of us, we've worked across a number of big businesses over, over the years, and the small businesses can afford even less. You yeah. have to take that cost out first in order to initiate the technology transformation, unless somebody's sitting there with a lottery win, but that's pretty unusual. <laughs> so, 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 Ed, when it comes to kind of taking that cost out, and I think, again, looking at looking at various processes that we've run, I guess we, we, we may categorise cost savings into to, to three areas, so... We, we almost always find low, low-hanging fruit cost savings, you know, things that should just have been ceased years and years ago when they just sat there, you know, I mean, it might be sites that have closed, it might be things that have just got zero usage and have just been missed completely and mismanaged, if you like. We, de- we then find some, some tactical things, things that, you know, might be short-term um, that you could make some changes to. Effectively, you could, you know, deliver some tactical fixes to um, deliver some, you know, short, medium-term cost savings. But then I guess when we start talking more about the transformational things, is the strategic cost savings which may require investment to deliver a lower TCO over time. This is the kind of things that you're talking about and you're really looking at doing the risk analysis around that and, and ensuring that that investment effectively will pay dividends going forward. What, 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 what kind of challenges from your perspective do you have then kind of taking that back up the, the chain if you like and almost influencing and persuading, you know, the, 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 the board directors that this investment will pay dividends and it's the right thing to do. Well, and I, th- I, think, I think in terms of the first step of that, which is taking the cost out, that's the easy bit because you know, the CFO and co will say, 
not my field. You're going to save money, go ahead and do it. Let me know what you've done. Yeah. And, you know, there's, as you have said, there's always low-hanging fruit. And, you know, on my list of low-hanging fruit is always let's have a dig around in the network and telephone space. Let's see what's been misbilled. How much money could we make on misbills? And I, I remember the one uh, Craig alluded to earlier about we worked together before. You know, I remember one of those occasions where, in fact, you know, Craig and I as the client and John Waterhouse as the supplier came back with about three and a half million pounds. So mysteriously, there was my three and a half million pound figure in one shot as misbills, incorrections, things that shouldn't be there, and it's delivered straight off. You know, here's a check. Uh, and that, that's a really great source of easy starting. Uh, you know, I think when you get to the what's the new bit, so you've, you've, delivered, your, you've delivered your saving to, to do it, come to the new bit. What are the problems? Well, number one, existing contracts. What can you do? If somebody's just signed a contract or done it quite recently, it's harder to unpick it. If you've got a contract that's been running for a period of time, maybe you can renegotiate it, but the renegotiation, bearing in mind, as we see in the current Brexit negotiations, you know, any negotiation is a two-way street. Everybody has to give something somewhere. So what we almost inevitably end up doing is saying, okay, we're two years into a five-year contract. We need to make changes. In exchange, it's the start of a new five-year period. Mm. So you tie in to the same supplier again even though you might have wanted to change to somebody else, and you might have got a bigger transformational effect by changing to somebody else. You have to stick with that. Uh, I think thirdly, then, is the question of architecture. Is there some architectural component, which as a result of what you've got, what you've done, what you can negotiate, you can't avoid, and therefore you can't move immediately to the new world. You move to an intermediate world for a period of time before you move to the new world. I think that last point is increasingly, increasingly important as well. You know, we just, just you know, re- recent times, the way people are consuming applications, the way applications are hosted. Um, I think the architectural aspect of that, from a strategic point of view, is increasingly important because the the change from what they have now to what they potentially need, you know, even in the next year or two, um, is, is is significantly different. Um, so I think you know that, that's that's a really really important point that you need to be kind of laboured into any of that kind of strategic thinking. Yeah, and, and you know, ar- ar- architecturally, uh, every company is different, every organisation is different, every architectural situation you inherit is different. There is no cookie cutter. So architecturally. You might be distributing systems globally from one place. In another situation, you might be distributing systems only locally within a particular geography from multiple places. So, you know, the fourth element then in the mix is about knowledge. So, what what do people know? And it's always one of the advantages coming from the outside. You can walk into an organization, and something I've heard people say to me quite frequently is what you're proposing is impossible. Never tell me it's impossible because, believe me, the minute you say that, I know that it is. Uh, and and therefore, fifthly, the last item of this in terms of Craig's set of challenges is that of fixed views. People say the only way this can be done is this way. Uh, and my really direct answer to that is there are always options. And what we should do in a transformational situation is look at the options and you know, actually believe it can be done. And, you know, if, if from our past experience or where you're garnering past experience in organisations <clears> like TNC, and they say, look, you know, what you're suggesting has been done 
23 times in the last three years, and here are the organisations who did it, and we can introduce you to the people who we did it with. You know, it gives you the confidence to say, I know this can be done, as opposed to I'm taking a flyer. So remember, what we're doing on each occasion is managing risk. And the risk is, in this particular category, get it wrong, and you bring the company to its knees. Get it right, you've got a great opportunity and the, the ability to move forward. But how do you manage that risk? And that is one of the ways of doing it with the external assistance. Uh, that's really interesting, Ed. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm conscious uh, you know, there's, there's quite a few points in there which which actually segue us really nicely from essentially creating room in the budget and, you know, the, the sort of conversation around the uh, the various places in which the fruit is hanging, uh, you know, is, 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 is absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, I guess the, the, the second key challenge, presumably, therefore, is, you know, you're creating room in the budget. But as you said, uh, right at the start, transforming to what? You know, you've got to build that strategy. You've got to take the organization with you. You'll take the stakeholders with you in agreeing that strategy. What, what would you say are the key steps in, in doing that and, and crucially doing it successfully? Um, you know, I think particularly, sort of, you know, some of the biggest sort of challenges and risks you face when, when trying to, uh, to take that step. I think, I think, first of all, establish the goals of the transformation. Uh, and, you know, if I look back over the last decade, uh, and by the way, I have been working for the decade. I'm not, I'm not 32. Um, the, the, I don't the believe it. The, 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 the organization's goals will vary. You know, in, in some cases, the briefing I have in that first meeting is um, my cost base is too high. I need to reduce the cost base. Uh, the briefing might be, you know, we may, need to move to a different way of working uh, or we need to reduce our physical presence or we need to transform to be a digital business. Most, most organizations at the CEO CFO level, which is generally where this sort of discussion takes place, uh, usually not more than a two-hour session at the end of which somebody says, "Can you? when can you start? Um, you know, essentially, they cannot describe what they are trying to do. They are merely describing the symptoms of the problem that they experience. So usually, the first step is establish the transform to what and say, well, here is a potential vision. Here are a series of options. Uh, and you know, most most recently, um, in the work I'm doing at the moment, I started off with a fairly loose briefing, which said, "There are some things that are wrong, but I don't know what. Tell me what it is and fix it." Sure, okay, I can do that. So we started off at a very positive level, looking at how the organisation could move from a very traditional business model, very much an analog, premises-based, the way it was doing it probably 20 or 30 years ago. Model hasn't really changed to being a digital business. And being a digital business is very different. It's about a whole different set of mindsets, approaches, culture, and of course, plenty of technology, which is what we IT guys like. Uh, And I kind of set out a model which had uh, 15 boxes in it. There were eight boxes which were about transforming existing business models to work in a different, more digital way. And there were seven boxes which were working under a different business model and in a completely different way. So, you know, examples of the the, the top line items, uh, the first set would be 
using digital technology to make our colleagues more efficient, uh, making our business processes and our operational systems more efficient, reducing cost of goods sold, uh, reducing our SGMA cost line. So sort of things a lot of people would feel very comfortable with. And when you talk to a the finance community and you're talking about reduced cost of goods sold and reduced SGNA, they go, yeah, fully understand what you mean. Using technology, automate the hell out of it, less people, less buildings. Great, understand it, great. How much is that? You know, this this amount. Okay, super. When you get down to the bottom line about a new business model, uh, you know, having milled some of my current colleagues through this over the course of three months in a series of workshops people could fill example after example on the top line. And it was very hard to think of things in the bottom line. And, you know, realistically, to transform an organisation to being a digital organisation, you have to come up with the complete use case and say, like this, and show them it before they can envision it themselves. And if you try to do it any other way and just rely on uh, ask, ask the client and get a response. You'll, ne- you'll very rarely move from the top line items to make your current processes more efficient. And that actually is not transformational. It's actually only incremental change. So being able to do that, first off, is quite important. And so secondly, I was going to just, 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 just chip in there, Ed. I think, I think, I think we have seen them failures where, that, where that, that, the, the kind of upside down approach has been taken, if you like, where it's a, you know, a bottom up as opposed to a top down. So you know, when there's not been any specific reason for change, it's just somebody's idea that they should pursue a certain technology because they've been you know, marketed it to hell from the supply base. Um, and we've seen on many occasions that kind of approach fail because, yeah, they've really not got the buy-in. And when it comes to the investment cycle, there's nobody there that's kind of sponsoring it. So I think you make really, really you know, valid points in terms of the, 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 the right and proper process and ensuring that there is a reason for change, there's a right level of sponsorship at the, at the kind of board level. And then that filters down through the rest of the organization to ensure that there's a you know, aligned goal, if you like, to, uh, to ensure you succeed. Well, I don't think it's necessarily at the board level. It's more the operating board. Yeah. So you know the rule, the, rule, the rule we work to now, which is a very sensible one, is you know, every time an investment is requested, there has to be direct benefits, which can be reflected in financial terms, and you know, one or more members of the business executive team have to say, and, and I will increase my uh, top line or my profit forecast as a result of this. Yeah. So. In, in most cases, you can do it. And there's you know, one or two cases in which cybersecurity, frankly, you can't. And having sat in, in that several times now in different organisations, don't even bother trying. You will not make money from cybersecurity. You will merely not make a loss if something happens. But if nothing happens, it's just going to cost you money. Yeah. But in pretty much everything else, you know, even down to the level of API management and integration platform as a service, you can make a case and you can demonstrate it in financial terms that in some way either reduces cost or drives top line. And you know, increasingly now there is an agenda among the CEO population of the world, you know, based on multiple surveys from multiple different sources, which are now it's not just about cost reduction, stupid. We've been doing that for years. It's now about how you pivot to growth and pivot to more profit, more earnings and profits. Because there's a point at which you just cannot reduce cost anymore. Although having said that, my view is if you haven't raked your contract set in the last two to three years at most, then those contracts will be overweight. 
because the first thing any supplier does on signing a contract is do everything they can to unpick everything they gave away in negotiations to get it all back. So after two years, they'll be pulling back and you've got the cost you can take out again and the business will have moved forward and the world will have moved forward. So that, that element of speed in transformation is also one of the fundamentals. You must be quick. You cannot say this is a transformation program that will lease for five years. Forget it. It's too slow. Uh, you know, and my, my view is now, if you're doing something, anything you do that is more than six months long, you know, by category, is now too long. Because in that six-month period, the market will have moved on. And, and that was seen you know, more and more, and has been seen more and more this year, more than any other year, probably in the last 20 years. So the, the, that, that, that is a perfect segue to our next topic. But I've got one more quick, quick question on, on, on this topic before we move on. You, you, you mentioned that, that, that often... CEOs, CFOs can't articulate the transform to where question. They, they can identify symptoms and issues and they know something should be done, but they're not necessarily sure what that something is. Do, do you think that's because, is, is this a slight sort of demographic thing that the C-level today hasn't come through with technology? So they know technology can do things, they don't necessarily know what. I suppose what I'm getting at is, do you think, you know, over the next three to five years, someone like yourself would get increasingly strong engagement with the sea level around technology because they themselves are more tech savvy. Or do you think there's always going to be that the role for the CIO or transformation director is bringing that technology savvy to the the rest of the business? I, I think the role will always be there. I mean, one of the the areas I'm most passionate about at the moment is how can we as the technology community help our colleagues in the business to advance their technology knowledge, and I don't mean to teach the CEO to write Visual Basic or the CFO to use Teams effectively, that's really by the by, that's a symptom, but to, to what extent can we get people to understand the digital potential, of which a lot of which you can do with a business level through workshops, and Therefore, they don't keep coming back to IT to say, this isn't working, can you plug it in for me? Instead, they're seeing us genuinely as a partner and somebody and a group of people with great expertise in the field of digital technology. So when they come to us, they're going, what's the stuff we haven't thought of rather than the stuff we should have thought of that you're just going, yeah, well, that's easy, like we knew this 10 years ago, and you're asking for stuff that we can do with a handstand behind the back. So we might see more people coming through, but I think it's part of our job in the technology practice globally to help our business colleagues catch up quickly, just as actually you know, we need to catch up on our ability to talk intelligently about finance and capitalization and current audit regulations and what you do with marketing and how you do people management and a whole lot of business issues, which they now expect of us but we don't quite yet expect of them the understanding of digital, but we need to. So let's see. I don't know where that one's going to go. Or it could be you start seeing more tech people ending up sitting in the big chairs in the great offices mm. of state in the companies because they can do finance and they can do marketing and they can do sales and they can do technology as well. But technology is now more important. Mm. That's really interesting. In the interest of time, as always part of my uh, job here is to keep us uh, moving towards our, our time goal. Uh, we've got one more uh, topic to, to touch on. I think, uh, you know, hey, we, we've already kind of started down it. 
so the topic is strategic sourcing. Any transformation is going to require uh, strategic sourcing to 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 uh, to be realised. So you know we're talking here about things like supplier consolidation, technology rationalisation, convergence, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, you've already mentioned Ned. Given the pace of change, and you know that's changed both in terms of the business in, that you're working into that you're you know you're supporting on the transformation journey. Their demands are going to change. The the technologies and the supplier market is going to change. How have you evolved your approach to sourcing to reflect this pace and, and these changing requirements? Mm. Well, there's, there's no doubt in the technology world, source, sourcing will be continually important because no one client organization that does staffing and recruitment or distributes building materials or sells your turkeys at Christmas or, or anything else can possibly also be a complete expert in all elements of technology. Most organizations are just not big enough. And you know, even large oil companies who sit right at the top of the FTSE 100, uh, you know, still go to third parties to deliver quite a substantive portion of the service. And when you have an IT budget of 2 billion, you know, which is bigger than most companies' overall turnover, uh, then you know you're you're talking at a completely different scale, but nonetheless you still use third parties, and that will always be the case. So you know, what I what I found over the year the years is it's all about the level of the relationship you have with those organisations, and it's not about a relationship with some salesman somewhere. I'm, I'm sure they're very nice people, and I was talking to one I've known for years just before this call, uh, and you know there's people I trust, but actually. When the chips hit the pan and the fire goes up, have you got senior people within you know, quite major organisations in some cases you can pick the phone up to and go, we have a problem and it's a collective problem. It's not my problem and it's not your problem, but we have a problem. And therefore, how you source and the way you do it in a far more open way, you know, less of the old public sector approach, with apologies to the public sector, of... You know, blind bids, you can't talk to anybody. You know, we're just going to tell you what we want. I've got a different view. My starting point is I've got some business goals and I'm trying to achieve things. Well, you're an expert in this field, you know, you lot out there. Advise me. What could I do? So rather than me setting out a, a very closed approach, deliver this and, you know, don't tell me what that I'm doing it wrong. I'm just going, here's what I'm trying to do. Tell me how I can do it. And I think that completely changes the game with the IT partner community. Uh, and the, the clever ones will therefore be able to say, well, okay, well, we can take a consultative approach and you, and you can trust us and uh, we, we learned that over time. Uh, and here is what you could do. And by the way, we thought if we teamed up with these other two guys, collectively we could offer you a far better approach to what you're trying to achieve than just we bid against them. So I think the terminology in common usage now is co-opetition. To what extent could we cooperate whilst also competing? Mm. So, you know, we see more formation of alliances. So in one particular situation, one of our partners might compete with two others. Another time they'll join up with one and compete with the third. On another occasion, the three will join up with one proposition and two other people will compete with them. I think the important thing 
in the sorting question is there's some level of competition because, as I mentioned earlier, when you when you cut a deal, the supplier will then try and work back all of what they gave away over the next two years, just as we, as sellers of what we sell to our customers, will do the same. Everyone's working the same basic business model. So it's important there's some competition to make sure you get to the right kind of price point and you can see what that price point is. And then secondly, you need to change the model away from one that is aggressive and not partnership-based, but one where you can have an open, consultative conversation. And the ones who can't do it will fall by the wayside very quickly. I was going to say, is that presumably, or or, do do you almost treat their ability to have that partner-based open dialogue? That's almost question one of the RFP, right? If they can't engage in that way they're not a partner you want and the ones who who kind of fall at that first hurdle say it doesn't fit their model or their people aren't you know just not able to deliver it you you, deselecting them early doors is actually doing you a favor or even then deselecting themselves well the 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 problem we face is is twofold number one can can the organization sell in that way but number two do they have products that we want or need and are they the best so we always, we always find we need to filter out the difference between good relationships and effective selling versus good products. Mm. So sometimes you may well purchase stuff from people who maybe haven't quite got to that point, but the product is better, and that's what you need. Mm. So it's a question of how you then manage and control them. And in some cases, how you coach them to be in the right place. But, but let's be clear, when we go out and source we're not sourcing the people we like. We're sourcing the products we need and will give us the greatest competitive advantage. And that's where I've seen a shift probably in the last two years. And I'm, I'm now seeing a shift in my own personal style as well, away from probably a decade of to what extent can I get partners to do everything to a point now of, I will get partners to do some things, but I'm increasingly I'm building the skill base internally because sometimes I need to react very fast and even good partners can't do it because if they're good, they'll be good for a lot of people and therefore to manage their cost base, they just haven't got the, the resource available to do it without demand and supply cutting mm. it. And demand increases, supply is limited, cost goes up. So again, how do you manage your cost base in a world of limited expertise? So I think there's an increasing move now towards we'll source some things, but we'll do a lot more ourselves. And more and more technology is starting to edge towards low code, no code, and create it from scratch or create it from a template position or code that exists but mesh together in a different way because it creates you competitive advantage. You know, if everybody can buy SAP S4, then everyone's got the same system. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. Actually, Ed, in in the fact that you know you're kind of moving more to that, trying to trying to to bring some more of that management in house, if you like, and less reliance on partnerships. Is is that is that largely because you move into more of a kind of commoditized product stack, um, and it doesn't necessarily need that high level of professional services from a partner? But is it also you know because you know the general trends in the market now is that we're starting to see many more services delivered as a service and more of a kind of consumable type service. You know, are they some of the drivers behind why you're moving in that direction or is it just a you know, kind of personal preference? 
Well, I it's, well, it's certainly not personal preference. Um, <laughs> it's I think first of all, most businesses are actually inherently quite simple, but they've been made inherently quite complicated by people. Yeah. So part of our transformational goal is often how you can simplify. Yeah. So if we consider a, a triangle. The bottom of the triangle is a lot to do with infrastructure and commonality. So all the way through your network telephony, uh, your underlying tech, uh, your ability to deliver collaboration services with Microsoft 365 and so on. You know, everyone should kind of be pretty much using the same stuff. We don't need everyone to have different things because it's just more expensive because you lose the volume purchasing advantage. When you get to the middle of the stack, you know, that's where the core business of the business operates. And if you're in most businesses, which most people operate in, you'll probably find it's rel- a relatively mature core business market, whether you're doing CAD, CAM, you're holding stock, selling stock, you're selling stuff in shops, uh, you know, you're making things, you're working in a services industry, you're in banking, you're in telecom, etc. Those core business systems, probably pretty mature categories, so why don't you buy software as a service and you know, run most of it cloud-based, except where you're in you know, really high, uh, you know, high usage, high demand, and you, know, net, you can't have enough networks to get stuff there from the cloud, as, as in manufacturing, for instance. But then I think there's about 20% at the top of the stack, where probably 15% of that, you might start, you start to get a bit unique. And it mm-hmm. starts to give you operational efficiency and some competitive advantage. And then you've got anywhere between probably 5 and 15% at the top of the stack, depending on the nature of your business, where you might achieve competitive advantage through technology because you're the only one who has got it. Yeah. Anybody who says, I've had to completely change this off-the-shelf sh- off package to reflect my competitive advantage, the fact someone's got an off-the-shelf package for that sector means you haven't got a competitive advantage. For it. So you know, believe me, it's look. You know, look at the top of the triangle. Look in the top twenty percent and say, what is it that we really need there that would give us competitive advantage? And when you can identify that, that's where you can put a lot of your investment. The middle bit, the lower bit, that is actually commoditized. Yeah. So the further down you go, it's mm. all about volume and all about cost out. The middle bit, it's working with partners to do it quicker because they do it 10 times a year or 50 times a year or 500 times a year, you do it once every five or 10 years. So how can you do that quicker? Top bit, and I think that top bit's growing, and probably four years ago it was 5%. I think that's now starting to push down, and it's probably now in the 15 to 20 range. And I think give it another five years, I think that bit could be anything up to 40%. And if you're looking at that bit as being your digital horizon, that's where you put the investment. The rest of it, commoditized yeah that's really interesting really interesting that is that is really interesting and and ed great great insights all the way to the end no let up but sadly i am gonna have to uh uh, to draw us to a close we've run out of time um thank you craig for your insights as always particular thanks to our special guest mr ed hutt for sharing some some really great thoughts and uh and experiences uh yeah really Great pleasure to have your company today. And as I say, insight right through to the end. I'm sorry I had to uh, to curtail it. Uh, but thanks everyone for watching and listening. Please do let us know any questions you may have about this or any other network and telecoms topic. You can get in touch through our website, 
www.networkcollective.co.uk or any of the usual social channels. And we look forward to talking with you again soon.